0: Now, we're going to read a long passage of Scripture. And I hope you'll follow with me and listen. We're going to look at this for two weeks, today and next week. Uh, the, the, Paul diverges from his, his building of his case, and he takes a whole v- chapter here to conclude the idea that we need to be ready to welcome uh, the Gentiles. Now, when he's talking about Gentiles, the integration of the Jewish people and the Gentile people was a huge, almost unimaginable uh, cultural shift. It was like nothing that had happened in the world before. And so for Paul to tell the Jews, he had a thousand years of history of not being integrated with the Gentiles, they kept them apart, they stayed apart, their dress was different, their menu was different, everything about them was different, they would not come in contact with Gentiles, they were unclean, not just, I don't want to hang out with you, they were unclean, and here comes Paul, and here comes Jesus, and here comes Peter, and all of a sudden all these Gentiles, and all of them have tattoos, they have bones in their nose, They don't look like them, they don't eat like them, they don't drink like them, they don't understand uh, a moral ethic like them. It is just completely foreign and they're in the same room and they're separating their one groups over here because they want to get within six feet, you know, the virus. And so they're they're social distancing and Paul is pressing in and pressing in. No, you can't do it. You can't do it in communion. That's what the whole business is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is saying, you know, Gentiles over here eating their meals, Jews over here eating their meals, you're not discerning the body of Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about some abstraction with bread and wine. He's saying, you don't understand what you're doing, and this will bring death to you. It's deadly. And he takes a whole chapter here to say, we must begin integrating. Doesn't mean we want to keep having people, you know, leave the bones in their nose. Maybe, maybe they shouldn't have a bone in their nose. I don't know. Maybe I should have a bone in my nose. Whatever the case is, that is not the basis. There's just nothing there for us to separate. Are you with me? Now listen carefully, I know it's going to take a few minutes, but give me a few minutes and read this uh, along with me or just listen, maybe listening's better. Here's his case, whole 25 uh, verses. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. Listen, that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and it counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, listen to this argument, it's just, it's magnificent. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Now, here we go. Is this blessing for the Jews or is it also for uncircumcised Gentiles? Read unclean, bad, awful, over there, social distance. Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith but how how did this happen was it counted as right was he counted as righteous only listen after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised clearly 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 God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. He was an unclean whatever. Before. And God accepted him. Brought him in. Embraced him. Just like you. Just like me. Before anything. On the worst day of your life. The most unclean day of your life. The most sinful day of your life. Jesus Christ stepped right into the middle of that mess embraced you, took you in, told you I'll never leave you and forsake you, and stays there with you. Don't you for a minute think that when you're in the depths of another sin a few weeks later, that He walks away and holds His nose and steps back and says, you get right and then you can come back here. Let me tell you, if you want to look for rock bottom in your life, if you've been through AA and you know what rock bottom is, I've been through that and I know what it is, you never hit rock bottom. You want to know why? Because He is there at rock bottom. That's where this Savior lives, for goodness sakes. For us. So that when we crash, He lifts us up. How else can you account for repentance and return? How do you account for it? Because you're just a good person? I got myself out of my, you know, I, whatever? No, He is there. Circumcision, 11 verse 11. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham, listen, already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous even before he was circumcised. So Abraham is the spiritual, listen, father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised. But only, listen to this, but only if they have the same kind of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. Clearly, clearly, (laughs) God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham, that's, Genesis chapter 12 and 15 and 17 and 22. He's promising the whole world, not just his descendants, was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. Why? The only way to avoid breaking the law is have no law to break. If it's there, you're going to break it. And if you break it, and it's the basis of your relationship with God, you are lost. So, the promise is received by faith, it is given as a free gift, it is given as a free gift, free gift. And we are all certain, certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That's what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. Ex nihilo. When he says that, out of nothing, it means that you had nothing. And as R.C. Sproul says, Nothing is not a little something. Nothing is nothing, and he brought out of nothing your new life, your new birth that exists today in those of you who believe that came from nothing, but it wasn't nothing because behind that nothing was something, and that's where he's going. listen carefully this is out this is a an incredible chapter of the Bible even when there's no reason for hope listen to me we have lots of days when there's no reason to hope here it is even when there was no reason to hope Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations for God had said to him that's the basis of his, of his, his faith That's how many descendants you will have. He's pointing to the stars and the sand out there in the desert. We got that. We know what that is. Infinite, almost. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about a hundred years of age, at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. But Abraham never wavered. In believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever He promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, listen, It was not just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded, written down, for our benefit too. Assuring us. That's the same promise to Abraham comes to you right now. In this life, in this day. In 2022 at Christ the King. In this building that used to be a bank. But now it's a church. His promise comes to you. Assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him oh, man the one who raised Jesus our lord from the dead and here he just I, I don't know how they got i don't know how he got it out of his mouth and I don't know how the scribes that were there in the room with him were right I don't know how they did it but listen he was handed over to die Because of our sins, our trespasses, because of us. He was handed over to die. And He was raised from the dead. He was raised to life to make us right with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Listen, Paul gives us the heartbeat, the very center of the Christian faith, in 3, 21 through 25. And I, I told you this last week. You, should, you know, if, if you're down one day, read this. And say, well, you know, I'm too down. I can't do it. No. Sit down. Make a decision. It's not that hard. You, you know, in a few minutes, you're going to make a decision to eat chocolate cookies, chocolate chips, and a, with a glass of milk. You decide to do that, decide to trust Him. Yes? Yes? Just make a decision. I will trust him. Well, everything looks bad. Ah, it's all right. I will trust him. My body's wasting away. That's all right. I'm gonna trust him. I'm making a decision. But my faith is weak. I'm gonna trust him. I know my faith is weak. I don't have any faith. I'm gonna trust him. Now you have faith. Now how hard is that? I don't know how many people in 20-some years of ministry as, as a pastor, I have had so many people come, my faith is weak, I don't have enough faith, I, can't, I, can't, I just can't believe. You know why you can't believe? Because the result is not quite there yet, and you're not willing to wait for this great God. And let me tell you something, if, and the promises are not just for this life. He is stretching His promises into eternity. Do you understand that? If it's only in this life the Gospel overpromises and underperforms, but if you have an eternal perspective and you 're looking out into beyond this life, the day that you die and beyond, all of a sudden the Gospel explodes, and you see that this life is just one step on a journey. To the great city, the New Jerusalem in heaven, and you're there, and you will be healed. Every sickness will be healed. Every sorrow will be absorbed by Jesus. Every tear will be wiped away. And in Greek, it says, "God hims, He Himself." It's an emph- emphasizes He Himself. He's going to stand face to face with you, and as you weep and cry over your loss and your sin of a lifetime he's going to wipe away those tears himself. If we get this into our being, our lives will change. We can be different people instead of just, you know, another group, for goodness sakes, with cardboard signs, you know, lobbying for something. Yeah, we should do that, but that shouldn't be the heartbeat. That shouldn't be the impetus of our lives, folks. And sadly, in many places it is. And I am not willing. I am not willing. Our elders are not willing. Many of you are not willing, and I thank you for that, to read verse 25 and stay the status quo. Amen, Presbyterians. Yeah, come on. This is important. This is life-changing. This moves everything. It actually will change your spiritual DNA. You can become a different kind of person. And a power will come from us that no political movement can give us, that no military weapons can give us, that nothing can give you. No vitamins, no minerals, no diet. The thing that we need for this is here in these verses. God help us to do it. Listen to these words, R.C. Sproul. The doctrine of justification by faith alone is the article, he's quoting Martin Luther, the article upon which the church stands or falls. The article that is so important, Luther said that if we lose it, we lose Christianity. If you don't have the doctrine of justification by faith alone, you don't have the gospel. And if you don't have the gospel, the church has no reason to exist. We should be out playing golf today. Right now, we should all be at Starbucks eating whatever they have there. Why are you here? What are you wasting an hour and a half on Sunday morning listening to me? I mean, I know it's fantastic, but still. The church has no reason to... That's hard words. You know, R.C. can say that. I'm I'm just mimicking. If you're mad, argue with him. He's in heaven. Go to it. The church itself ceases to be a church and falls... Look, we don't fall just a little bit over to the side. We fall into apostasy. Now that's not fooling around. That's apostasy. Listen. Because it is the article that answers the question. The question, what must I do to be saved? That's not just saved and go to heaven. That's all of everything in your life. All your life means. And your children and your grandchildren. And everything that you do, everything that you are is in Him. That's salvation. It's not just going to heaven and floating on a cloud with a harp. Listen, humanity's relationship with God began. This is very important. Those of you that come at 3 o'clock today, I'm going to go through this. When we go through the Westminster Confession and Book of Church Order, you're going to see humanity's relationship with God began with original righteousness, a gift created in the Imago Dei by faith, Planted a garden. God did this. He gave us righteousness as a gift. Clothed us. He created us with original righteousness. We were good to go. He planted a garden and he put Adam and Eve in this garden. And he said, now, you garden this garden and make it spread. Have babies, lots of babies, if you can. If you can't have babies, uh, plant a tree. Whatever you have to do. But garden and spread and go and go out into the land of Eden and make it a garden. And go to the ends of the earth and make it a garden. Go do. And go with my image in your original righteousness. And he said to them, "Listen to this. This is I wrote this, and I this is worth listening to. Well, you know, I have to give a plug to myself once or twice a year." but this is awesome what I wrote. (laughs) He created us in the Imago Dei by faith. He planted a garden and said this to Adam and Eve, the same thing he says to you and I, trust me. Trust me about the trees. See these trees? Trust me. Eat from this one. Don't eat from that one. Trust me. And don't trust the serpent. Don't listen to him. Just trust me. But even after they betrayed him and went their own way, and we do it every day, so don't say, well, how how come? I?" Don't do what they did. Then you can be righteous. That's what Paul's talking about in this verse. Do it. Don't complain about, well, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, I, I wouldn't have done it if I was in the garden, really. And stop. And start being righteous every day on your own, in your power, and you will make it to heaven. You don't need Jesus. Don't need him. Don't need the church. You don't need. You don't need nothing. See how great grammar I am. But even after the loss of righteousness, loss of original righteousness. God's way, you remember I told you? This is God's way. God's way is always sheer grace plus nothing. God always says to humanity, always, 100% of the time, Where are you? Not, I see you. I see you is condemnation, it will crush you. He never says that to the worst person in the world. The worst sinner, which someone out there is the worst, I'm not, but but somebody out there is. He never says, I see you. He says, where are you? Come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Come, learn about me. I'm gentle. I am lowly. But my burden is light. Because the yoke is shared. I'm in the yoke with you. I'm in rock bottom with you. I'm in your broken heart with you. I'm in your sins with you. When you do good, I'm there with you. I'm there with you when you eat my body and drink my blood. That's the seal. That's the promise right there. And when we take it, it's awesome. You are taking in everything He promised. The reality of it is stunning. John Calvin said, By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are really, in our real self, feeding on Christ by faith. By our faith we are coming to the broken body and the shed blood because that's where our strength is. Wow. So let me, real quickly, this won't take long because I read this whole chapter. What is the loss of original righteousness? What is that? Listen, here's our shorter catechism question. This is a catechism for children. And the little Scottish kids would learn this thing and memorize it. And that's how they got to take communion. Among people who didn't understand, who understood grace, they made their children learn the shorter catechism as a condition to come to the table. How would you like us to do that to you? 107 questions, and you've got to learn them all. And then we'll give you communion. And our good Presbyterian and Protestant brothers, we throw stones at our Catholic and Eastern Orthodox brothers and say, ah, they don't understand grace. Really? Well, look what we did to our kids. I'm not saying they shouldn't learn the catechism. Many of you are teaching the catechism, but good. Good. That's not a condition. You don't earn anything by learning the catechism. It's all for your benefit, not for me God's not impressed when you come to Him with the catechism. He doesn't say, wow, you learned the catechism, okay, you can have communion. Because on a certain day in time and history, Jesus saw His Son spilling that body and that blood out on the ground. and. Nails in his hand, all the beating, all the horror. He saw that. That was brought to him and he said, I'll take it. So don't let us ever go to him and say, here, look what I've got. How dare we say that to him? I've got nothing. And so do you. We start with nothing and then he gives us this free gift and then we've got something. What is the loss of original righteousness? I'm sorry for that. Wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate wherein to man fell. That's the condition. What condition did he fall into? What status was lost? The sinfulness of that estate, that standing, that righteousness, whereinto man fell consists of the guilt of Adam's first sin. The loss of of original righteousness and the corruption of His whole nature, which is commonly called original sin with all the actual transgressions that proceed from it. Unbelievable. One little article of the Confession Catechism. We fell into a state where we lost our status. We lost our standing, our righteousness with God. And what happened is we were then guilty of a crime against Almighty God. Cosmic crime. And that guilt brought a penalty. The penalty was what? In the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And if you read your Bible, they ate the fruit, they saw each other, they were naked, they went and got the fig leaves, they did all that stuff. But what didn't happen? What did not happen? What? They did not die! What's up with that? That's grace. God knew what they did. He was there. The the story is poetic, it's beautiful. He comes into the garden himself. Where are you? Oh my gosh, I don't know how. You know, folks, keep coming to this church. You'll learn to read your Bible. No? Nobody wants to say amen? Okay. (laughs) Never mind with you. The loss of original righteousness, which is called original sin. Once original sin replaces original righteousness, from that flows like a river, like a stream, like a fountain. It just spurts and goes. All the other transgressions that flow from it. It becomes just a fountain of of bad stuff. And even good people struggle with bad stuff. And bad people love to bring more bad stuff. Read your Bible. Look at your life. When I was a sinner... You know, just with the loss of... I loved what I did. I hid it. I kept it close. I loved doing it. I would sneak. I would do all the things that you do. Or, once I became a, a Christian, so to speak and accepted Jesus, so to speak. I got going to church, and church that I started with was very legalistic, so I just did the same evil, but the other way. I started acting righteous. I came to church every Sunday. I would pray. I would lift my hands. I would do sing the songs, do all the stuff, all the stuff, all the stuff. And boy, did the fountain go. What did we lose? Quickly, quickly. I'm sorry taking so much time. We lost something called dikasune. That's the word in Greek. I'm not trying to impress you. Dikasune and the whole group of Greek words, decay, this word group, all mean just or righteous or make right or justify. It's about a standing, a status with God, okay? This is what this word means. Now, quickly, look at verse 1 and just follow with me the text. You can. If you have a pen, you might circle them, or just keep it in your mind. Verse one: Being made right, being made acceptable. Verse two: Counted righteous. Verse three: Verse five: Counted righteous. Six: Declared righteous. Nine: Counted righteous. Ten: Counted righteous. Eleven: Declared righteous. Counted righteous. In verse eleven, the second part. Twenty-two, verse twenty-two, counted righteous. Twenty-three, counted righteous. Twenty-four, counted righteous. Twenty-five, he makes us right. You don't make yourself right. He's making you right. He is taking the original sin and he is putting back into you not original righteousness, but a better righteousness, which he's going to explain. He doesn't just take us back to the garden, folks. you and I, when we receive Jesus Christ and we cry out to him for mercy, He comes to us in our as we are laying there in our worst our mess and everything. He comes to us, and he clothes us with a righteousness better than what Adam and Eve had ever could have had, one that can never be taken away, one that can never be stained or ruined because it's not yours and mine, it's His. It's His righteousness. And He brings that back into our lives. Listen. The saved person, this is Douglas Moo, he's a great scholar, and I've been using his commentary. The saved person... No longer trusts in obedience as a way to be saved. A Christian is one, listen, who stops working to be saved, not one who stops working. I love that. We're, we're not saying in any way the law doesn't matter. After you're born again, you start loving the law and you want to obey and you strive to obey. And that journey of obedience and loving the law goes from now till you die, till your last breath. And it'll be up and down, here and there, hither and yon. It'll go all over the place. But the track is set for you. He will never leave you. If you go down, He'll come get you. He'll pull you out. Read Pilgrim's Progress. Yes? All right. Stay with me. I know this is a lot. Believe me. I agonized over this. And I didn't, I, I didn't have a sermon until yesterday afternoon. So I apologize. 31 minutes. I'll stop in a second. Verse 5 concluded by saying that if we stop trusting in ourselves as justifiers and start trusting in Him as justifier, the result is credited or imputed a trust, listen, a trust transfer. You're transferring your trust. The day you say, I'm going to trust Jesus, you're saying, I'm going to trust Jesus and I am not going to trust all this other junk I've been trusting. And you have to identify them. You've got to know what they are. You've got to learn how to find those idols and uproot them. And and then when they grow there, you go get them. You know, this is a process called sanctification. It's a process. You've got to be in the church in order for that process to work. If you try to do it from home by yourself, you will crash and burn. Why a lot of Christians in the, America, in the U.S. of America is... Crashing and burning. Because they're off there trying to do this on their own. You cannot. It's impossible. You need people that you can trust to come and tell you no. That's why we take vows in the church. And we say, you know, I will listen to my elders. I will trust you. Now, I I don't know if you trust me, but you should trust Dawson. And Dave is amazing. And Rick. And Gary. Hugo, not so much. But... <laughs> you know me, I don't know. Hugo and I are a pair. So anyway, <laughs> not trusting ourselves, but start trusting him as the justifier. The result is credited righteousness. It's a transfer of your trust to consciously see where your trust is, and remove one's hopes and trust from those things and to place them on Jesus Christ as Savior. In particular, not God in general. That was Tim Keller, sorry, not uh, Doug Mu. I, I had Doug Mu earlier. Remind, I've got to remind you, faith is not something that you have. Faith is a decision you make to trust. And that is all it is, folks. There's nothing in you that you're bringing. My faith, all my faith. Well, it's, it's weak, but here it is, Jesus. Take my faith. Make something out of my faith. Your faith is nothing Isaiah said it's filthy rags so you go to Jesus and you say I trust you Jesus and all of a sudden that faith is born in you it's a gift from God this is what Paul was talking about in Ephesians it is a gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast faith is born out of your decision to trust Jesus and as you place that, that decision-making moment in Him and every moment afterwards that you decide to repent and believe the gospel, every moment after that, that faith is only as good as the object in which you put it in. Put it in your meager works, your merit, your hard efforts, and all that stuff, church going, your baptism, whatever you want to put it in. Filthy rags, filthy rags. Put it in Jesus, and all of a sudden, that little seed, that mustard seed that you that you didn't even have, it's born and it becomes strong. It becomes a tree. He said, "Those are his words." It grows. It becomes a tree. It becomes so big that the birds can come and rest and nest in it. That's a whole other sermon, folks. Unbelievable what this man has promised us, and he guaranteed it. He said it will happen. I'm betting my life on it. It will happen. Because it's my blood, my flesh, my body, my good works. I did it. I painted the beautiful canvas of righteousness. Beautiful, beautiful. And I brought it to you. And you are to gaze upon that. And then bring me your crayon drawings. And that's okay. I'll put them on my refrigerator. Under my beautiful cosmic artwork. I'll put your work under that. And it'll count. Not because you did it and you were sincere, but because I say, My child drew this. It's lousy, but it's on my refrigerator. And he or she is mine. Therefore, it has value. In my eyes, and because it has value, in my eyes, it's valuable. Do you see that every work that you do, everything you do, every time you stretch your arms out to Jesus, He's taking it and doing something with it you cannot imagine. You don't want to hold back anything. Faith is not earned because you believe. Faith is not a work. It is not something you have that you offer God. Saving faith is the result and a reaction to God's faithfulness. That's all faith is. It is so important, folks. I cannot, I'm going to have to emphasize it every week and I'm sorry it takes, all right. Quickly, what is God's way? Remember I told you, what is God's way? That's another Greek word. You don't have to learn Greek, but just listen, because I'm going to tell you what they are, and you circle them in your bulletin. You can take it home, circle it in your Bible. This word is uh, logizomai. This is the one that is translated counted. Look, verse 3, counted. Verse 4, counted as a gift. Verse 5, counted. Declared in verse 6. Cleared of sin in Verse 8. Nine, counted. Ten, counted. Eleven, declared. Eleven again, counted. Twenty-two, counted. Twenty-three, counted. Twenty-four, counted. He did something that you don't do. He counted it to you. He gave it to you. He conferred it upon you. You didn't have it. It was not there. It It was nothing that you had. And He brought something. He counted it. He took it out of one column... And he moved it into another column. He paid a debt he did not owe. But he paid that debt that you did owe 100% forever and always. And Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished. Legitimai, This beautiful word, counted righteous, it's used 11 times in 25 verses. The other word, dekaosune, was used, I think, 12 or 13 times in 25 verses. Now, Paul's not, this is a scholarly man, this is a rabbi, trained at the highest level of education at his time, both in in Roman and Greek philosophy, as well as all of the Jewish, uh, you know, all the Jewish corpus, everything. This guy was brilliant. He didn't use these words just because he was rambling. He used all of them. I mean, he just impregnated these 25 verses with these words so that you would stand up and pay attention. Now, now I'm going to read from Doug Moo. I'm sorry. God's act listen, this is beautiful. God's act of putting people into a new and right relationship with himself is an act of sheer, sheer grace he God acts without compulsion alone listen without compulsion you can't you can't plead enough with him to get him to move the reason he moves is because he's moved his bowels move forgive me his bowels move that's what the Hebrew says he he is moved towards you that's why he moves not for all your whining and your crying He moves because He loves you. And He did so before the foundation of the world. This is amazing. Without compulsion. Apart from any reason. Outside of His own will. You see, He's not looking down a tunnel of time and saying, Oh, I see. Yeah, they're going to turn out pretty good. I can, you know, I can work with that. There's nothing there. There. That's what the doctrine of election is about. He's going to talk about it shortly. There's nothing there. He's not looking and saying, well, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll come out good. I see that in the future. No. He's looking at nothing. He's saying, I'm going to make it something, and this is what it's going to look like in the end. This is my painting. You are his artwork. You are his poem. His beautiful song. He sings that song over us, and we become it. Stop your striving. Stop this, this burdensome Christianity that is so odious, it just weighs us down. And we, "Oh, I wish I could go get another religion. That Christianity is awful. It is the worst kind of Christianity. Christianity is liberating and free. It takes time, it's not just overnight, but my God, it is wonderful when you find it. You would be clapping, we would be raising our we would be shouting with joy. I know it's hard, folks, it's not our culture, and I understand. But let me tell you something. This is great. It is glorious. It is beautiful beyond imagination. and it should stir our hearts. This faith is an act of acceptance and surrender. This is Doug Moo, not me. It is necessary to experience this righteousness. Our justification has its source in the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Redemption. It's another Greek word. We're not going to get into that. Denotes an act of buying out of slavery. Going to to the slave block. And they trot you out there with all your chains and all your junk and all your scars and all your indignity and your filth, trot you out there. Anybody want this slave? And everybody says, Oh no, that's the worst one I've ever seen. I won't even offer 25 cents for that slave. And out of the crowd steps this man, and he doesn't pay 25 cents for you. He didn't pay a hundred dollars for you, a thousand, a million, a billion, a trillion. Jesus Christ's full payment for our sin, He does this, that we might be released from this block of slavery in order to serve a new master. Not so you don't have to obey the law, but because, so that you can. Take the chains off so that you're free, so that you can look at the law and go, wow, I didn't see that. I'm going to obey Him. I love this. Here's my chance. And off you go. Who pays the debt? Who makes the penalty? How does he do this? I've said it a hundred times. And why? Verse 25 Jesus was handed over. In Greek, it says he was delivered. It was not, he was pushed, he was shoved by these evil men into a black place, and he could have called. Legions of angels and got out, no problem, said goodbye to humanity, uh, uh, you know, good luck. The famous words of John Calvin, good luck. Instead he looked around himself and all he could see was black, dark, evil, demonic evil, satanic evil, the pit of hell. All he could see was that. And he says, I will do your will. He was delivered to die because of our sins, our trespasses, and he was raised to new life to make us right with God. You see, this man broke through that darkness, that grave, that pit of hell. He crushed His way out of it by the strength of His own nature. Not anything that you did or brought to Him. You were dead in your sins. He goes in there into that black pit. He breaks His way out on Easter morning and brings light to the world. Will you trust Him? Will you? Say Yes. Now you're a Christian today, but you know what? You've got to trust Him today. Right now. Put your trust in Him again and again and again. Every day, every minute. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. You're so great and so good to us. I don't know. We can't say anything. We stand silent in awe of You and Your goodness and Your glory. Thank You, Jesus for the righteousness that you count to us. Not so we don't have to obey your law, but so that we can and become salt and light to this poor broken world. Dear God, help us. And now we ask that you feed us in our hearts by faith with this beautiful sacrament. And your presence, please, by the power of your Spirit, be with us. Amen.